to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Hey friends, I had the privilege of having a great discussion with my friend and former pastor, Dr. Lance Bourgeois, about God's design for marriage. Lance is the head pastor of Grace Church in Wichita Falls, Texas. In this two-part discussion, Lance and I talk about the hope of having a Genesis 2 marriage in a Genesis 3 world. It is so interesting. My marriage has been blessed by the wisdom of his teaching, and so I pray yours will as well. Let's get this conversation started. Welcome, friends, to another episode of No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life. My name is Alicia. I am the executive director and host uh, for the podcast. And today, um, there is no one in my closet today (laughs) except me. Uh, But I am joined by my special friend and actually former pastor, uh, Dr. Lance Bourgeois. So he is coming on today to talk to us about having a Genesis 2 marriage in a Genesis 3 world. Um, I was hoping I would get that right. So thanks, Lance, for being here with us today. Yeah, what a privilege to get to be with you. So the joy. Yeah, I know you don't. I mean, I love, I mean, I just think it's so impressive being in seminary myself right now that um, you have your doctorate. Um, but you are such a humble guy that you don't like anybody to call you Dr. Lance or Dr. Bourgeois. You just go by Lance. <laughs> Lance. Yes. Yeah, I'm Lance. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're going to go with. But um, before we kind of dive into our topic today, I just want our listeners to get the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better um, because you're pretty awesome. And I'm so thankful that uh, we met when you became our pastor. There's a funny story you always tell um, when you moved to Texas or when you moved to Louisiana <laughs> about it was like the one place. Yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah. Tell that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we drove into town on Friday night. Uh, we got in about eight o'clock and went straight to the house we'd already purchased to look at it. I hadn't seen it yet. My kids hadn't seen it yet. Uh, Ellen, my wife, uh, had bought it on a trip to visit. Uh, And so we pull in about eight o'clock on Friday night and we go look at the house and uh, okay, so got an idea of what we, what we're going to be living, where we're going to be living. And we went to our hotel room Saturday morning, we get up and we drove to Home Depot 
we don't know. I mean, we knew the elders at the church who had hired me, but we really didn't know anybody. And I, I remember having the sense of walking into the store and thought, I'm not going to see anybody here that I know. I mean, we don't know anybody here. Uh, and so we walked in there and man, we weren't in there 10 seconds when I hear Pastor Lance. And I thought, well, that person clearly doesn't really know me because I don't go by Pastor Lance. I'm just Lance. Uh, but in that moment, I turned around and looked at you and I'm like, who is this person who knows me? And it was you and Carrie and just started laughing. You came over and introduced yourself. And I thought, wow, I really, we are never anonymous in this world. There are always eyes, uh, which was a level of accountability and conviction that just says, you know what? There's always eyes watching, even when you don't think it's possible. Yeah. So to this day, I still apologize for blowing up that anonymity for <laughs> you. I mean, it was short. Good. It was very short lived. So you are a Louisiana boy, right? Born and raised. Yeah. So born in Baton Rouge, lived there almost my entire life and uh, and went to LSU. And so uh, Ellen, my wife, grew up in New Orleans and uh, and spent her whole life in New Orleans. And she comes to Baton Rouge to go to school. Uh, and we met my our sophomore year at LSU. Uh, dated the rest of college, got married. Uh, within three weeks' time, we graduated college. Uh, I turned 23. We had Christmas. We moved all of our stuff to Dallas into an apartment uh, with her parents and flew back to Baton Rouge, got married uh, on a Friday night and flew back to Dallas on Sunday. And I started seminary on Monday. So There's anyway, your it's pretty crazy. <laughs> we had a... We had a one-day honeymoon in New Orleans. <laughs> and you kind of were stuck in Texas for ever since after that, right? Yeah. So we uh, we thought that when we graduated uh, from Dallas Seminary uh, that we would head back somewhere, South Louisiana, maybe Southern Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Panhandle of Florida. Uh, and uh, somebody recommended this church to us and recommended us to the church and the church to us. And uh, we came up here and we didn't even know where Wichita Falls was when they said, hey, we recommend a church for you up in Wichita Falls. And I said, I don't want to go to Kansas. And they said, no, that's Wichita. <laughs> Wichita Falls is in Texas. I said, where? And they said, it's Northwest. I'm like, that's the wrong direction. We don't want to go there. Yeah. Uh, and so, but they said, go look. And so we looked and we fell in love with it. And so I was here for 16 years as uh, as an associate pastor in a couple of different roles uh, went back to school during that time out at Fuller Seminary uh, and got another degree. Uh, and so within that, a couple of years later, had the chance to move to Covington and pastor there. And uh, and that just was a wonderful time for us uh, when I got had the privilege of getting to know of No Heart Left Behind and you all and uh, you dear friends. And then uh, four years ago, almost five years ago, the senior pastor I'd worked with passed away. Uh, unexpectedly, and we were invited to return as a senior pastor here. And so uh, we've been back just over four years now. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we were glad for your time in Covington, too. It was, uh, it was a very sweet time, but we definitely know you are where the Lord uh, has you to be. So we like that, even though it's far away. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Yes. Yep. So, but that's actually um, one of the reasons why I invited you on the show is because I can remember a um, a sermon you gave on 
marriage and breaking down um, a passage of scripture that we're actually going to jump into today that I just thought it was just so helpful um, to Carrie and I at the time and um, just made a lot of impact on our marriage. And so when we started this podcast, I was like, well, obviously I'm going to ask Lance to come on and really kind of talk about um, all the things that he talked about from the pulpit. So um, we're going to jump into basically what you talked about, and I'm probably going to butcher this, and I had to say it really slow at the beginning so I didn't mess it up. Um, But you talked about having a Genesis 2 marriage in a Genesis 3 world. Um, What the what does that mean when you say that? (laughs) So, you know, when we think about marriage, um, and I, I say this a lot, I feel like if we're going to do the task of theology, and everybody's a theologian, everybody has a theology, all that word means is the way that we think about God or, or scripture or revelation, the way we think about God. And so we all have a theology of marriage, and that idea is that if we're going to do it biblically, that we've got to grab a needle and a thread and we go Genesis through Revelation and we start attaching every verse on that thread that we can understand speaks to this topic and you push them all together. And then you have the capacity to say, well, this is how scripture speaks to this topic. And so that sermon series, uh, the first sermon series I did in Louisiana was the book of Colossians. I I guess I bounce around on what my favorite uh, book of scripture is. Uh, but I really love the book of Colossians. And so I get into teaching that and I realize that pretty quickly uh, by the time I'm hitting Colossians three, uh, that I am now at a new church that doesn't really know me very well. And now I am tackling one of those words that is a trigger word, yes. which is wives submit, submit. to your husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Pretty quickly. It's like, hey, let's just jump out of the gate and let's tackle the the trigger words that get everybody upset. So, you know, if we're going to do a theology of marriage, which uh, is useful, uh, then we recognize that Colossians 3.18 doesn't stand alone. Colossians 3.18 has its origin all the way back in Genesis chapter two, because this speaks into something uh, that wasn't originally intended to be. If we go back to Genesis 2, now Genesis 2 is where we see the creation of marriage. Genesis 3 is when we see sin enter the world. And it doesn't surprise us that if marriage is created in a world without sin, that marriage looks really different in Genesis 2 than it's going to look in Genesis 3. Uh, And so when I'm teaching Colossians 3, I've got to go back and say, is it possible that we could have a taste of a Genesis 2 marriage, a world that had no sin. There was no self-protection. There was no no vulnerability. Uh, There was no sense of having to protect myself because we were free and easy in Genesis 2. There was no threat. So if that's true, a Genesis 2 marriage is as God intended marriage to be. It's got to be the most beautiful marriage that would be possible, the marriage we would all long for, But we don't live in a Genesis 2 world. We live in a Genesis 3 world where all of those things took place. And so we've got to understand Colossians 3 when Paul writes that to a Genesis 3 world. And the question is, is it possible to get a taste of a Genesis 2 marriage in a Genesis 3 world in which we live? 
And by Genesis 3, just for, you know, all the baby Christians out there, is that's when the fall happened. That's when everything broke. Yeah. Sin entered so, the world. So, you know, that Genesis 2 passage is pretty great. We come through all of creation uh, in Genesis 1. We get to Genesis 2, and every step of creation, God has declared to be good, right? And so as he's talking about it's good, until we get to Genesis 2, and we see this idea that Adam is all alone in the garden. And it's the first time we see that it's not good. So it really stands in stark contrast. God created, it was good. 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 And then we have this note that God created Adam and that's the one part of creation that isn't good. And so that ought to raise our eyebrows a little bit. Like, why is God capable of creating something that's not good? And if he was going to create something that's not good, why is the not good Adam? Which we're told in Genesis chapter one, that male and female are made in the image of God. So what are we missing here? And the answer is that he's alone, right? Mm -hmm. And so God sends him into this laboratory-like experience. I hated in school when you had to not only take biology, but you had to take the lab where you have to go practice or process something. So God says, hey, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And then you get this strange, I mean, it seems kind of bizarre that all of a sudden he says, now out of the ground, the Lord created all these animals. And he says, Adam, I want you to go name the animals. And so I'm sure if, if Adam could have heard God's thoughts, like, yeah, God, it's not good that I'm alone. And then God's like, grab your clipboard. Now we're going <laughs> to send you out into creation and I want you to go name all the animals. So all of a sudden there's Adam and he's out there and, uh, and here come the animals two by two, you know, and he's like, okay, aardvark and buffalo and cheetah and donkey and elephant and frog and giraffe and horse. And, and yeah. they just keep coming in pairs, right? And then it was all of a sudden you understand why God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam, grab your clipboard and go name the animals because Adam came to the conclusion himself, right? Yeah. He's the one that looked around and said, wait a minute. The aardvarks are two by two, right? The buffalo are two by two. I don't have my two. Where's my other one? Yeah. And I, you know, how good is God that he allowed Adam to come to that conclusion on his own? Yeah. That he might understand and appreciate what he was missing so that when it was provided to him, that he could appreciate it all the more. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, Adam's like, hey, it's not good to be alone. And God says, right on, mission accomplished. That was the excerpt, that purpose of this whole exercise. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, I'm going to put you to sleep. I'm going to wake you up and you're going to see Eve there. Now, think about what a moment that is. So Hebrew has this way. A lot of languages have nouns that can be masculine or feminine, right? You put an yeah. ending on one of them. Hebrew has that same thing. The Hebrew word for man is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha. You make a noun feminine in Hebrew by adding an ah ending. Ish, isha. So when you look down in Genesis 2, when Adam wakes up, you can imagine his joy. There is an unclothed (laughs) Eve standing in front of him. And he has this moment where he looks up and he sees her and he breaks into this song, which is a beautiful song. I get it. I mean, when you and I think song, what's the melody? And going from Hebrew to English, it, it loses something. 
But all of a sudden in that moment, he looks up and he sees her and he, I mean, you talk about joy, this at last, this is bone of my bones, it's flesh of my flesh. She is Isha because I'm Ish. Yep. We're comparable. Oh, man. We, a man, was he excited? <laughs> and in that moment, it's the idea that we're the same. Mm-hmm. I'm Ish. I'm the male. She's the female. You make female by adding an ah ending. I'm Ish. She's Isha. And we are the same. We've got value. We've got this incredible relationship that's going to be there. And then you get the, and for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to her. And they're going to become one flesh. Yeah. And then you get this phrase in verse 25. that says, and the man and his wife were both uh, naked and were not ashamed. And so they live in full transparency. They live in full exposure, which is so scary for us now because in our world, once sin entered, now we've got to be about self-protection. We are about hiding those things uh, that make us different. We, we're not safe with each other. And so we start hiding those things uh, that make us different. And so, you know, that's, that's a Genesis 2 marriage. They're yeah. safe. They're engaged. They're transparent. There's nothing hidden. They live life fully exposed to each other and completely safe with each other. Yeah. That's the Genesis 2 marriage. Right. But that a lot is a lot of times, well, all of that, that's not the experience that most of us have, you know, in our marriages in the Genesis 3 world, like you were talking about. And when sin entered, everything broke. And so um, that's kind of, so, but it's not hopeless. <laughs> no, so, it's not hopeless. Yes. But what we what we end up with, uh, is is part of where I, I think that we need to, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, he uses this word, azer. And it's really an incredible word. It gets translated in our Bible as helper uh, sometimes. Sometimes it carelessly gets, I, I don't like the word helpmate very much. Um, help meet is better. Helper is really the best. Why is that significant? Here's why that is really, really significant. That word azer appears uh, in the New Test in the Old Testament 21 times. Okay. Wow. Two of those times is here in Genesis chapter two in reference to the wife. And so in our culture, so often that word for when it's connected to the wife, it, our culture looks at that as uh, it denigrates the value of the woman. It reduces her to being uh, either some kind of secretarial role uh, or a maidservant or something like that. And if you only had these two uses of that word, it's not good that man should be alone. I need to make a helper who's fit for him, fit for him, comparable. That's the ish isha uh, thing. But I need to make a helper if we only had Genesis 2, we would look and say, well, man, that, that seems like God just said, here's a maidservant for you. And yet, if you look at the rest of the way that word used, 16 of those 21 times, it's a reference for the way that God moves into Israel's life. That the word that is used to describe what was missing in Adam's life was Eve, a helper, is the same thing that was missing in Israel's life which is God, and he comes along and says, I function in Israel's life in this way. 
where does my help come? I mean, over and over again, you see, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Okay, so that's the wife. But when we start seeing that I'm poor and needy, hasten to me, O God, you are my help. Psalm 33, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Yeah. What we see, I think, over and over and over again, is that God gifted Adam a relationship that was going to function. Not, not It can't function like God functions, because God's omnipotent, omniscient, and all those, those attributes of his. Right. But the, what's lacking in his life is someone who is comparable, that comes alongside, and they work together as a team, and they benefit from what each of them brings to the table, Israel was missing God. God becomes Azer, becomes the help. Adam's alone. He's missing his help. He needs an Azer too. And that's the gift of the wife. That's why the Genesis 2 marriage is so incredibly strong is because it has this connotation of coming in to empower and to serve and to provide that which was missing. That's the gift of marriage. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, you kind of opened the door for it because, you know, what I want to do is I'm going to read this passage that we're kind of building up to um, as one of the passages, you know, um, Colossians 3, 18 through 21, because kind of like what you were saying, like you were talking about helper. Um, and you know, this passage addresses, it has a lot of like buzzwords that make, you know, people's hair stand stand up. up. They just like, kind of like what you were saying when you just like jump in, we're like, all right, we're going to talk about submission. (laughs) 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 If you (laughs) just, you know, to make people like you and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions about these words. And so since you kind of opened the door, what I would like to do is um, read the passage and then talk about some of these words like helper, like roles, um, I think is another word that maybe some people don't really like the sound of. And just talk about what that actually means in the context of what God's talking about and how these things are life-giving as opposed to, I guess the right. word would be like squashing maybe, or, yeah. you know, okay. Does that Oppressive. sound good to you? Yeah. Oppressive. That's a good word. All right. So yeah. let me get, um, so I'm going to read, uh, this is from the NIV and this is Colossians chapter three, verses 18 through um, 21. And uh, we'll go from there. So starting verse 18, it says, wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So right off the bat, you have words like submit and you have these roles that kind of become apparent like head of the household. Um, you've kind of talked about the woman being the helper and unfortunately, and I feel like in culture today, um, 
they've kind of, those words have kind of taken on negative connotation and that just isn't what God intended for it at all. So if you could maybe talk about some of these things, like the, the misconceptions about these words and how all of this plays into um, the call of a wife and a husband to maybe reflect what the Genesis two marriage could look like. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know that was like a big yeah. question. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. So if you think with me, if you were to say a theology of marriage, if you boil it down to one word, uh, I think we could say oneness, right? Is that you're one flesh, emotionally, physically, spiritually. If we were to talk about a theology of sin in one word, we probably would say separateness. We've been separated from God. We've been separated from each other. So what happens Genesis 2, marriage, theology of marriage, oneness, theology of sin, Genesis 3, separateness. And so all of a sudden, what we see is that which was created to be good, a gift, a healthy thing, created tremendous angst. Genesis 3, where that marriage, where sin enters the world, right, is uh, we've got Eve in the garden. She's talking to the serpent. The serpent tells her, Uh, to question God's goodness. She takes the fruit of the tree. And then we, you're like, well, where's Adam? Where is he? And then you get it. She took the fruit of the tree, she ate, and then she handed it and gave it to her husband who was with her. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Adam's been there the whole time? Mm -hmm. So if you go back further in Genesis 2, you actually see that when God gave the mandate not to eat the fruit of that tree, Eve hadn't been created yet. Mm. So Now, all of a sudden, you've got this entire account that what Eve knew about that tree, she only knew because Adam told her. So Adam's there, silent, passive. If you talk about the passivity of men, that's not new. Adam, Genesis chapter 3, before sin enters the world, is passive. And Eve is doing spiritual battle with the serpent who's questioning the goodness of God. And Adam sits there silently and takes the fruit. And God shows up in the garden and he starts walking through the garden, which is weird. You and I've never heard God walk in a garden. That's yeah. different. And he's calling out to him. And then he has this moment where he says, Adam, what happened? And Adam, remember, oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's Eshaw because <laughs> I'm Esh. All the Throws sudden, the woman was, under the bus. <laughs> under the bus in a heartbeat. He's like, this woman you gave me. I didn't ask for her. I never wanted her. And I think that's why God said, no, remember the clipboard? Remember the aardvarks and the buffaloes and the cheetahs? You wanted somebody. I let you discover that. And then I gave you the gift of someone. And now you're throwing her under the bus. Yep. Now, if you were Eve and you are an Eve, Thank you. If you're an Eve, and in that moment, you want to say, hey, time out. This is my fault. Go back to that bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, Isha song. I like that song much (laughs) better than that, Uh right? Now, Adam doesn't take responsibility. Now, Eve doesn't either. I mean, Eve's like that serpent, you know what I mean? So she's got her blame game going too. But when we find ourselves in this thing, now is when we see what's going to be the the consequences of this decision. Yeah. These two are going to go at it. Husband and wife's going to go at it. Now, if you're Eve, I think when you look at what her curse is, it says your desire is going to be contrary to your husband. 
and he's going to rule over you. And I think about marriage and how Genesis three marriage is that said, you know what? You two are just going to butt heads over and over and over again. Now, if you're Eve, I get it. He's not safe. I will never trust him again. Cause when the chips are down, I can't trust him. He will throw me under the bus in a heartbeat. Yeah. He's not safe. Why would I ever trust him again? And if you're Adam, he looks up and says, you know what? I'm not going to be threatened by you. We're going to do battle. And all of a sudden I'm going to be harsh with you. You're no longer the, the E shot of my age. You're now an opponent to me. Yeah. And now we do battle with each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately I, I feel like, you know, that feels like a more familiar narrative for most people in marriage is that like when you're describing that, it's like, oh yeah, absolutely. But then, you know, when you were talking about the bone of my bone and flesh of my, like that is something a little bit more foreign, unfortunately. And it's sad. Yeah. And you know what, what a moment is they couldn't go back. They didn't have the capacity to say, you know what, Hey, let's put the fruit back on the tree. Let's try to gag ourselves and get rid of the fruit. We now live in a new world. Yeah. And, and within that new world, don't miss the fact that we went from the end of chapter two, where it tells us that they, they were naked and unashamed, to all of a sudden, we're told that, okay, so God creates a covering for them, right? And what, did, what was the covering? Well, one, it was the skin of an animal which sets us up for the idea that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so mm-hmm. you see the first salvation in that moment of Adam and Eve, that there is a covering for their sin. An atonement is the same yeah. word as covering. There's an atonement for their sin, but don't miss the fact that what they covered was their loins, right? Now, without being uh, over the top on that, they didn't cover where they were the same. They didn't cover their noses. They didn't cover their ears. They didn't cover their eyes. They covered that which made them different. Hmm. We're, vulner- we're vulnerable where we are different. You and I can look around. Your husband and I can say, I'm a man. He's a man. Okay. There's no vulnerability in that. If I start talking to you about how I believe about something, uh, take the election, right? Who do I vote for? Well, that is something we cover because we're vulnerable to somebody challenging us. And in that moment, Adam and Eve cover what made them different. Now, you think about every marriage out there. We went from a relationship as God intended, full exposure, full transparency, because we were safe. All of a sudden, marriage isn't safe. And we start covering those things that make us different. So the way one of you could be a spender, a saver, a spontaneous, a planner, do you like this food, that food, or you're a morning person or a night person? And we start trying to hide the things that make us different, which by the way, it wasn't good for you to be alone. So God gave you somebody who fit you that's different than you, but is comparable to you. Because it wasn't good for you to be alone. And when we start hiding our differences, now we're not experiencing the very good of having that, that Azer relationship. Yeah. Now I'm trying to hide what I bring to the table that's unique. You're trying to uh, hide what you bring to the table that's unique. And now we're both limping through this life, not in the marriage that God created for us, but because we're so afraid, because we do marriage so poorly, because 
the husband doesn't want an opponent. The wife says, I don't want to trust you because you're not safe. And now we walk around in the proverbial loincloths, hiding those things that make us different, which means we can't enjoy the goodness that God had in mind in bringing us together. Yeah. Yeah. So that all follow. Yes. No, absolutely. So just to put, um, I guess, I don't know, put legs to it or flesh to it. Like what might that, that hiding or that opposing each other look like in a marriage? Like what, how might that play out? Yeah. Great question. Right. So think with me, if one of you is an introvert and one of you is an extrovert, the extrovert person will, people define those terms differently. If you define, are you energized by alone time with your mind or are you energized by time with other people? Let's just take that one. If you have a couple where one of them is energized by being with people and the other is energized by downtime, reading, meditating, music, whatever, and they're wearing their proverbial loincloths and the person who's an extrovert says, okay, no, that would be great. Let's go on a silent retreat for the next week. That'd be wonderful. I'd love to go spend some time at a silent retreat for a week. That'd be (laughs) awesome. They're going to come home and they are going to be so beat and fatigued because they got no fuel put in their tank that week. Now you come back and that couple, the, the, the introverted person looks up and says, man, that was the best week ever. Didn't you just feel so energized? And the other person's like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, right? Or because we're not open enough to say, you know what? What energizes you doesn't energize me, but I'm embarrassed to tell you what energizes me because I love you and therefore I want to I be like you and you felt like this was important, so I'm going to go do this. Take the other person who is the extrovert and says, you know what? Let's go to a week-long cruise with our favorite 20 couples. We're going to wake up and have breakfast together until we go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. We're going to be with 40 people everywhere we go. Yeah. And the introverse and the introverted part of that couple puts on the proverbial loincloth and walks and said, that'd be great. And then you come home from the cruise and that person just crashes because they look up and say, Oh my gosh, I've, I never had a break. I was with 40 people everywhere I went. Yeah. And Which the, sounds awesome the, to me. I am clearly the expert. sounds awesome, right? <laughs> you know? Yep. And so I, I will tell you in my marriage, one of the things I tend to be the extrovert, Ellen tends to be more introverted. And so what happens to us is the opportunity that if we do something like that, that Ellen probably says, you know what? You go on to breakfast with the 40 people. Let me stay here. I'm going to read. I'm going to rest. I'm going to take my time. I'll meet y'all wherever later in the day. It's because she's got to get that fuel put in her tank. If what puts fuel in your tank is different and you're unwilling to acknowledge that because you have it behind the loincloth, then you can imagine the impact when the other says, what's wrong with you? Why are you so disengaged? And it's going to stem back to a idea that what puts fuel in my tank doesn't put fuel in your tank. Matter of fact, what puts fuel in my de- my tank depletes your tank. Yeah. Uh-huh. So how do we live together in harmony when what fuels one depletes the other? Well, that's got to be a conversation. If I don't feel the freedom to be transparent with you in that, then I don't know how we get past that. Yeah. Yeah. That's big. 
Wow, I hope your heart is processing all the rich discussion that just took place and have a little better understanding of God's design for marriage and the challenges in marriage that have resulted from the fall. Be sure to listen next week as we continue to tackle trigger words from Colossians 3, like the words submit and head of the household. We hope to meet you back here next week. And in the meantime, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be a huge blessing if you would follow the show or even leave a review. I can't tell you how much it helps the message of the podcast get heard by those who need it. Thanks again for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com, or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer. Mm